Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Hey, welcome to Branch Online. In just a minute, we're going to run into Matthew chapter 3, but my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life, and I have a rumor that I'd like to share about myself. And the rumor is that in my family tree, and we've never done Ancestry.com or any of those things, but the rumor is that we are of uh, a royal bloodline, that our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather or mother was a king or a queen of England back in the day. So that brings me to this question, have you ever wondered what it would be like to be a king or to be a queen? To actually like be in charge and to reign and to rule and to kind of set the, the guidelines and tell people what to do. And in our family, we thought about this. If, if the cards kind of played a little bit differently, we might be the king and queens of England instead of, you know, uh, Josh and Jen in Pennsylvania. But there's a, there's a saying about those people that wear crowns, and they say something like, uh, heavy is the head of those that wear the crown. And, and though it might sound great and glamorous to be a king, it is a, a, a heavy weight. There's a heavy responsibility. And I'm sitting in this throne and I want to give you like some insider information. This throne is, is not that comfortable. I mean, I don't, I don't think I want to relax in this. I don't think I want to live in this or move this into my living room or frankly, even in to my office. Now, now here's the rub. We're all kind of trying to be the king of our own world. And, and we want to rule our lives our way. And there's this constant pressure that we have on ourselves, that we put on ourselves to be the king of our lives or the queens of our lives. But that's not how life was designed to live. It's a weight, it's a heaviness that you're not supposed to carry. And we want to talk about that in Matthew chapter 3 today because that's the topic that comes up. And we're challenged on this. And God, the central message of, of God, the, the first famous words that, that Jesus says when he begins his ministries are, is found in Matthew chapter 3. And it's, it's first said by John the Baptist and then it's repeated later by Jesus. And it's this, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to talk about what that means, but ultimately there's going to be this relief from the responsibility of being the king. And you're going to get a, a, a master class from John the Baptist on what and why that should take place. Why you should remove the crown from your own head and hand it off to the rightful king who rules and reigns in this world. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 3, where we're going to see together uh, this theme. And the theme is this, confess, repent, repeat. And we're going to talk about that together. But first, as we dive in, let's read Matthew chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 1 through 12 today. And we're continuing our study in the book of Matthew. We're in the third chapter. We've already gotten through two. And we hopefully, by the end of this month, we'll be through chapter 4. So if you've missed any of our previous 
uh, talks on Matthew, you can go to our YouTube channel or branchlife.church and find those there. Today we're in Matthew chapter 3. Let's read this together. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, make, making his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region around Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham even now. The axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. I, John, baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat to the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. As we jump into Matthew chapter 3 and try to understand this today, as we mentioned in the opening, we are going to participate ultimately in communion at the close of the service. So we want you to be ready to have a, a cup, your bread and your drink as we go there. But how do we get from uh, John the Baptist in the wilderness to communion? Let's take that journey together as we talk about this idea of confess, repent, and repeat this powerful spiritual practice. Have you ever asked yourself, how do I get closer to God? I mean, how do I feel near to God? How do I know the presence of God? How do I, how do I relate more to God? Even on the radio as I was driving around today, I heard an a advertisement on news radio about how you can be closer to God. And they say things like you can do charitable work or you can go to, to worship or something like that. Let me, let me tell you that, that John's message, this was the, the predecessor for Jesus Christ. He came declaring how you and I can be close to to God. And it's simply this spiritual practice. Repentance, maybe more than any other spiritual act, draws us closer to God. You want to be close to God? You want to be near to God? You want to have a relationship with God? You want to know his thoughts and, and feel his way? You want to know his will for your life and where to go in the future? You want to know how to make wise choices, how to show the love of God, how to have the joy of God? Well, more than any other spiritual act, repentance draws you close to God. And that's why this is the first word proclaimed in preparing the way of the Lord. And we want to see in this journey today through these chapters why repentance is such a powerful spiritual act that should be a regular part of all of our lives, so regular that God instituted two practices in the church, baptism and communion, to help us with this very important spiritual act. Now here's how this chapter starts. It starts in Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 and it says, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. All right, loaded sentence as most beginnings of chapters are. 
There's some intentional verbiage here. And remember, we get a lot of these words and some of the words coming up in this chapter confused. What you're trying to do when you study the Bible and the book of Matthew is you're trying to understand what the original reader would understand. A first century Jewish person in this case, what would they understand? What was Matthew trying to say to his contemporary, his neighbor, his friend, and how would they have read it? Well, in those days is kind of this first cue, like this, this season, in this time, and what is happening is we're transitioning from Matthew 1 and 2, the birth of Jesus, to Matthew 3, the ministry of Jesus. In those days represents a span of 30 years. 30 years between Jesus' birth and now him coming onto the scene, which is going to take place in Matthew chapter 1. In those days, when Jesus was getting ready to begin his ministry, and there was going to be direct communication from God himself, in those days, John the Baptist, this phrase, in those days, also represents a 400-year gap from the close of the Old Testament, the last prophecy, to the coming of Jesus. It had been 400 years since people had heard directly from God, since a prophet had been sent, since, since there was sent hope into the world. So when John says, in those days, he's, he's cueing you into this important key moment in, in, the, in world history. In those days, John the Baptist, all right, who's John the Baptist, came preaching what is preaching in the wilderness. Where? Well, let's talk a little bit about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a character like none other in the Bible. John the Baptist, like Jesus, had a birth that was prophesied and announced by angels. Mary's aunt, remember, was told that she was going to give birth to one that was going to prepare the way for the Lord. That was John the Baptist. John the Baptist and Jesus probably grew up knowing each other, cousins to one another, related to each other, and John the Baptist became this eccentric preacher out in the woods. And he was a, a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. He had taken a vow of a Nazarene. And, and there's several others in the Bible who had taken this vow. Samuel was a, a Nazarene. Samson was a Nazarene. And the, one of the things that they couldn't do is they couldn't cut their hair. At no time was his hair cut. And so most of what we know about these people that took the vow is they allowed their hair to grow. And he probably had his hair dreadlocked in six different dreadlocks. And it came down uh, around his back. He would wrap it around his waist. And they'd stick the extra in like a man purse that he would have over his shoulder just to carry around his hair. He dressed in, in, in camel skin and a leather belt, kind of like hanging, hanging out, kind of all crazy like so just... Picture this kind of like this uh, wilderness off the grid kind of guy who was preaching in the wilderness. Now, we don't understand the word preaching. We think that preaching is what someone does with a suit and a tie behind a pulpit in a church building to an auditorium full of people. Most of what we know in our American culture is, in, is, as preaching is teaching. It's just people giving us more facts. Preaching is not teaching. There's teaching involved, but Preaching is declaration or the announcement of Jesus, who Jesus is. We're all called to be preachers or announcers of Jesus, announcers of the gospel and of the good news. And so John was out there announcing the good news that Jesus saves, that Jesus is coming, that the Messiah is here. He's preparing a way for the Lord. And that, that's what John the Baptist did. 
Look at chapter 3, verse 4. His garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. I don't know if he dipped the locusts in the wild honey and ate it. I can imagine that'd be the only thing that I would do while that's being told. This is one crazy guy. This is one really kind of like uncivilized person. He was marking himself as someone who was not a part of that kingdom or that time. He was separating himself out with a unique message because of the vow, because of his, his duty, what he had been called to do, because of, of who he belonged to. It makes me think and want to ask this question, as followers of Jesus, should we be more uncivilized? I mean, should that be something that we prescribe to? At the very least, we've become too civilized. The Bible says that we are not citizens of this world. We are just passing through, yet we spend a lot of time trying to be just like what the world thinks we should be. We, we, we dress a certain way, we act a certain way, and, and in our American culture, this is what preachers look like, right? You know, clean cut, kind of casual. Maybe you're from a more traditional setting where they're in a suit and tie, or, or they wear a robe when they come out, and, and it's, it's all a certain look, and it's all a certain feel, and it's kind of all the same. And, and isn't there supposed to be something different about who we are as Christians isn't there something maybe even supposed to be a little bit weird about how we think? Something that separates us out from everyone else? Should you as a Christian look exactly the same and act exactly the same as your neighbor? No. We, we should be a little bit more uncivilized. I would even argue that we should look different and be recognizable as Christians before we even speak the message of the good news. We should be dead to self. We should do things that other people don't do, like get up early on a Sunday to gather together and worship God, to be able to give of our own stuff to benefit other people without asking of things in return, to be able to be passionately joyful in a time of difficulty, to be able to have peace in the middle of a storm. That's weird. That's crazy. That's uncivilized. But we act differently when we're Christians because we're not a part of this kingdom. We are a part of God's kingdom and we're representing the king who is Christ, the savior of the world. And we follow his patterns, not the makeup of this world. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so like John the Baptist, maybe we should separate ourselves a little bit farther out. Maybe we should look a little bit different. Maybe there should be something that's less civilized about who we are. And it's not about looking a certain way or singing a certain type of song. It's just about joyfully proclaiming who God is. Let's be more concerned about being a follower of Christ than being a follower of this world, to being a follower of, of cultural Christianity and how it works out there, to proclaim the message of God and to worship Him passionately. And when we do that, we're going to look funny. We're going to look weird. We're going to, we're going to act differently from other people. I think we should as Christians. A little bit like John the Baptist, be more uncivilized. Let's be crazy about following Christ. In John chapter 1, it says this in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent out priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Right? So, so who is this weird guy in the wilderness? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, 
I, John, am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? You know, there was, there was rumors about who this guy was. Remember, Christ wasn't yet on the scene. He hadn't declared himself. He hadn't started his public ministry. So they were all looking for the Messiah. And here's this guy preaching in the wilderness, baptizing people, uh, anointing them into a new kingdom, which baptism represents. And they are all saying, who are you? Are you the Christ? No. Are you another prophet? No. Are you Elijah returned? No, I'm none of these things. And John's going to declare his purpose in John chapter 1 and verse 22. He says, no, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This was John preaching. This was his announcement. This was his message. He cried out. He preached, make way, make, uh, excuse me, make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare yourself because the king is coming. He's heralding, heralding the advance of the king. It's kind of like at the beginning of those sports games, you know, you've seen the videos, you've been there, maybe you were a part of it growing up. The football team or the basketball team is going to get ready to come out on court. But before they do, these girls comes out and they have the, the pom-poms with all the different colors and they're all kind of like really giddy and bouncy and happy and cheery. And they come out and they have this big banner and it says, go team or something like that. And, and they, they start a chant or a cheer and they're like, here comes our team, they're going to win. And all of a sudden, bursting through that that piece of paper the team barrels out and everybody cheers <sighs> what do those cheerleaders do they were making straight the way of the team they were preparing a way for the arrival of the ones they were looking forward to seeing the celebrated ones that's what john was doing he was preparing the way of the lord and he was preparing the way of the lord for those people in these times and he was telling all of our hearts to be ready to receive and to be ready to prepare the lord isaiah had prophesied that one would come who would preach in the wilderness, who would prepare the way of the Lord. And the proclamation that John had is simply this, Jesus saves. Jesus is that Messiah, not me. Jesus is that prophet, not me. Jesus is the one who's going to save the world. Jesus is the one we want to be ready for. He's the one we want to glorify. He's the one we want to look to. He's the one that we want to announce to the world. It is my life pointing to another or is my life pointing to myself? In this world of social media where it's all about my selfie, am I introducing people to Jesus or am I introducing people to me? When they see my life, whether it's civilized or uncivilized, are they seeing self-promotion or promotion of the king? We should be able to preach Christ crucified, Christ transformation through our lives, through our social media, through our joy, through our love, through our service, so that others would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. May our lives, may our social media posts, may our interactions with others prepare the way of the Lord in the lives of those who we see, who we know, who we love in this day and in this culture. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, it simply says this, John declared in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this is a powerful phrase, and this introduces us to the number one theme in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. 
Everybody in the Old Testament was looking for the coming king who would set up his kingdom. And John is saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And to unpack this would take us a whole nother sermon series. This is going to be unpacked throughout the year. But you are being called when you follow the Lord, when you believe in Jesus, to a spirit of repentance. Remember, we said repentance is maybe more than any other spiritual act, the thing that's going to cause you to grow closer to God. So how often are you involved in repentance, personal repentance before the Lord? What is repentance? What's it mean? And why are we being called to it? Again, this is a phrase that a lot of us misunderstand because when we hear the word repent, we immediately think about someone who's standing out on the street corner with a blowhorn or a sign and yelling at people, repent or you're going to burn in fire. Repent, repent, you're a dirty, awful person. Repent, repent. And we got to get this like shameful, judgmental uh, angriness that's connected to the word repent. And what I want to say today, that repentance is not an angry, mean, judgmental word. That repentance is, at its very core, a word of love. Repentance goes hand in hand with love, and it's a call that is a loving call. I want you to think about repentance more like this. A call to repentance is one of, as, as one of the greatest expressions of love there is. You see, when I call someone to repent or when I'm called to repent, I am acting in love towards other people. It doesn't have to be an angry, judgmental expression. It doesn't have to be one of those shameful moments, but it can be a moment of loving embrace when you encourage someone to repent because it's something we all need to and should do in order to draw close to the God of the universe. What an incredible act of love. If you were sick and didn't know it, would it be more loving for me to ignore your sickness or to address it? And to say, hey, I have a cure. And I, to wrap my arms around you in that moment and say, this, this is what is best for you in this life and in the life to come. The call to repentance is a loving call. And Christian, let's make it lovingly. Let's make this call affectionately to those around us and not be angry yellers, but to be loving callers, beckoning people into a better place. And, and here's, here's one of the reasons, and maybe the reasons repentance is a, a call of love. Because you make a terrible king. Now, repentance ultimately is this idea that I am wrong and someone else is right. And, and here's, here's what repentance is. When we are born, when we, when we live our lives, we automatically, naturally, as a part of who human beings are, take on full ownership of our lives. It's my life, and I am the king of me. I am the boss of me. I'm going to run my life the way that I want to run my life, and nobody's going to tell me how to do it. We take care of ourselves. We become our kings, and we live on our thrones of our life. That's, that is where we all start. Now, here's, here's the problem with that. You, you, make, a, you make a terrible king. You, you aren't the best person to rule your life. And, and it's, it's like kind of letting a two-year-old drive a Mack truck. That is not a good idea 
Someone else is going to make a better driver in that situation. And there is someone who is far better equipped to be the king of your life than you are. You see, John knew this about all of us. John knew that in our natural state that we call ourselves, we naturally are our own kings. And so John's out in the wilderness saying, no, 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 I'm preparing the way for another king. And, and John was out there doing his thing when he was approached by Pharisees. And we've talked about Pharisees and, and prophets and priests in those days, people who were too religious to believe in Jesus. And here's what happened. When he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptisms, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That's, that's like a, a barrel full of snakes. Like, you, you rats and you snakes, you horrible people. Here's, here's what John is saying about, uh, about the Pharisees and the religious people of the day. You're horrible. You, you, are, you are an awful sinner. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are not worthy. We are not worthy to carry on our own lives. We, we, are, we are bad at making decisions. We're bad at wisdom. We're bad at righteousness. We, we tend to fall and be selfish and be proud. And yet we want to be in control of who we are. We, we are hopeless sinners. And there is nothing that we can do to free ourselves from this sin. There's no task that we are able to accomplish. There's no sin that we and ourselves can forgive. We are just simply like these Pharisees and Sadducees, a brood of vipers, and we're in need of repentance. He goes on and he says, Who warned you to flee from the wrath of come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. For every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you were someone who took care of an orchard and you had a tree in your apple orchard that bore no apples, it just didn't bear apples. Every year you came around, no apples from this tree. Year two, no apples. What would you do with that tree? You would, you would tear that tree down and you would plant a new one. We, when we are living our lives and the king of our lives, are like those trees that bear no fruit. John chapter 15, it says, apart from God, we can do nothing. The branch cannot bear fruit unless it's attached to Christ. And so without being attached to the king, we are fruitless. The other reason a call to repentance is a loving embrace is because your way leads to fruitlessness and fire. Your way leads to fruitness, fruitlessness and fire. Remember this sentence, who, who warned you from the wrath to come? If you think you're in charge and you're actually not, the real king's going to be upset about that. He's, he's going to be mad about that. That's going to be a problem. And so the king is coming. And if you're not on his side, if you're fighting against him, there is wrath coming your way. And, and these Pharisees were warned about this wrath. And then he says to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We're supposed to live lives that results from a repentant way of living. And if we aren't repentant, we aren't able to bear that fruit. And so that is good. the trees that are going to be thrown into the fire. There is judgment coming. Listen, it is a loving thing for me to say to you that there is wrath for those who do not follow God. That there is an eternity and we're all going to spend it somewhere. Where are you spending eternity? The Bible is clear that you could either spend eternity with Christ in new heaven and new earth or in the lake of fire. And these, these teachings from the very beginning of Christ's ministry point to this fact. Yes, 
Jesus talked about heaven, but he also taught about hell. And Jesus taught about this very real reality. And he says, listen, repent. Your way is fruitless. It leads to fire. Repent, and then you can be a part of the kingdom of God, which is far better. That is a loving call. Matthew chapter 3, as the story goes on, Matthew says that his winnowing fork, Jesus, the coming Messiah, is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor. This is, this is the gathering of hay. This is, this is the bringing in of the crops. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff, that which was no good, which fall, fell to the ground, will burn with unquenchable fire. There is no doubt that those who rule their own lives, those broods of vipers who do not repent, ultimately land in unquenchable fire. You see, John is saying to us that a call to repentance is a call to turn in your crown. The call to repentance is a call to turn in your crown. When we start our lives living our way, doing what we think is best, submitting to no one, living life our way, and we hear that the king has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what does that mean? That means the ruler of the world is here. He is within your grasp. We're going to learn through the book of Matthew that God is saying that his kingdom is established, that he is here, that he is ready to reign and rule over your life, over your heart. And someday there will be a completion of this coming kingdom and God will literally rule over this earth and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it mean that this kingdom is at hand? It's within your grasp. And what John is saying is he's saying repent, which is this literal idea of turning from your way, realizing that you are not the king, is taking the crown off of your head and handing it over to Christ. And instead of you ruling your life, you say to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to rule and reign. I'm going to let you be the leader of me. You are now my king. And we turn our lives, and our crown over to Jesus. You see, your call to repentance is a call to turn over your crown. Have you ever turned over your crown? Have you said, that's it, I'm not in charge of my life. I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to follow God's path. I'm going to be a part of God's kingdom. If you've never done that, I want to I invite you today to repent, to apologize to God for your sins, for just ruling your own heart. And tell God in this moment that you're ready to become a follower of him. If you're ready to turn over your crown, you can simply pray this prayer in the quietness of the moment. God, I'm sorry for my sins and I repent. I want to invite you into my life to be the king of my heart. I want to follow you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for my sins. And I want to accept the free gift of salvation. Today, if you pray that prayer, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. You're a part of a brand new kingdom. We want to celebrate that with you. Would you let us know in the chat by saying, I prayed that prayer? Would you let the person know that invited you to listen to this, that, that you prayed that prayer? Or you can go to branchlife.church right now and go to the gospel tab and let us know that you prayed that at that tab. If you have any more questions, we explain salvation a little bit more on that website or respond with your connection card a little bit later today. But repentance, although it is a, a, a powerful first step into the kingdom, it's also a step that we're asked to repeat 
over and over and over again. Once saved, always saved. But here's why maybe some of you are not ready yet to repent. Here's why some of you still have a, a disagreement or, or trouble with the idea of repentance because it's hard to repent. Number one, concealing feels easier. It feels easier to hide our sin or to hide our wrongdoings than it does to, to confess them, than it does to lay them out there. Uh, that's why for so many who, who struggle with addiction, who struggle with, with going back to the same vices over and over again, they hide that from other people. They don't let people know that they're struggling with it. They don't let people know that that's something that they're, they're ashamed of it, they're embarrassed by it, or they think that they'll just be able to deal with them themselves. So I'm just going to conceal it. I'm just going to hide it and, and, and in a lot of ways not face it because it, it feels easier. But in Proverbs chapter 28, it says, He who conceals transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them, that's repenting, will find compassion. And if you're out there hiding sin, you're covering something up because you're worried about what other people are going to think about you, you're worried about their reactions, you're worried about the wrong thing. God loves you and he wants to, he wants to forgive you and flood you with a connection to him. And in most cases, when you allow this to, to, to light shine in the dark places, com the compassion of God will pour out fully. The other reason it's hard to con confess is because, well, sin feels good. It feels good. Here, here's a thought. Sin often brings temporary pleasure, power, praise, or a temporary removal of pain. We often do things that we shouldn't do because it feels good. It gives us power in the moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat on that test so I can get a better grade. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie. I'm going to tear that person down so that I can look better than them. I'm going to participate in that activity or give in to that lust or that feeling for this momentary pleasure. And it's, it's going to feel nice. Or I just want to escape the reality of it all. So I'm going to numb myself by, by coping with with this activity or that substance. I'm going to numb my pain for a little bit. And those things feel nice and, and well, we like things that feel good. And so why would I repent from that? Why would I turn from that? I like that feeling. And although we like that feeling, it's ultimately a destructive, fruitless feeling that ends with fire. We know it's not the right thing to do, but yet because we like how it feels, we keep doing it. God says, repent. Repent from that. And the third reason that we often find it hard to repent is because consequences feel bad. I don't, I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel good. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get punished. And, and so a lot, we'll have remorse, which remorse is sorrow from getting caught. Like, I'm sorry I got caught. Or I'm sorry that happened. I, I, I remember my son coming home from playing in the church uh, preschool one day and he, he came in the car and he was playing with this toy obviously in his hand and he gets out of his car and he walks in the front door and he's got this toy and I, I turn around and I say hey what do you got there and he takes his he takes the toy and he covers it up and puts it in his pocket and I said Will do you have a do you have a toy in your pocket he goes no you, you don't have a toy that you just brought with you in the car and I saw it and you stuck it in your hand and now it's in your pocket no. Did you get that toy from the church preschool? No. Will, I know you have a toy in your pocket. Ugh. Right? That's how so many of us act when it comes to sin. 
Are you doing that thing you shouldn't do? Are you using those words you shouldn't use? Are you participating in that activity you shouldn't participate? No. But, but God sees you. Like he plainly knows it all. You can't go too high or too far or too deep to get away from God. He knows it all. Well, I'm not. But, but God saw it. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. And we sometimes have remorse for getting caught, but, but really we want to repent because repentance is, is being sorry enough to stop. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I got caught, but I, I'm sorry I did this and I don't want to do it again. That's repentance, but that's what makes repentance so hard. But repentance, more than any other, is what can draw us closer to God. Matthew chapter 11 says this, and this is the, the, the power of repentance. I baptize you with water for repentance. The act of baptism is, a, is an act of repentance. It's an act of turning from one way. It's taking your crown and giving it to another. When you repent, when you are baptized, you're saying, I'm no longer in charge, but I'm laying my crown at God's feet. And ba I baptize you, John, for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit then is poured down on those of us who follow Jesus. And we are, we are surrounded by the person of Jesus who moves into our hearts and into our lives, who causes us to be uncivilized, who allows us to be a part of this new kingdom. We are first baptized with water, and then we are baptized with the gift of the Holy Spirit. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, baptism is the first step for those who follow the King. If you are someone who believes in Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, well then the act of baptism is the first step that you should be taking as a follower of God. This history of baptism, where baptism comes from and why it's something that God has called us to be a part of as the church, comes from this deep recognition, this even Jewish tradition of, of acknowledging that you are no longer a part of this world, but you are, are, are identifying with something new. You're no longer dirty and, and corrupt and sin-filled, but you are now cleansed because you have been washed in the Spirit of God. Baptism is a recognition that you are buried with Christ and you are raised to a new life. This is a powerful symbolic picture of what happens to those of us who turn in our crown. This is a symbolic picture for all who have said, I am not in charge of my life, but I am a part of the kingdom of God. I am following Jesus as my king. Have you been baptized? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you have not yet been baptized, I want to strongly encourage you. I don't want to shame you, but I want to say shame on you if you have not yet taken this step to be baptized publicly, to be in, in the kingdom of God, and to declare that you are different and you are ready. This act of baptism, we love to celebrate at Branch Life Church unlike any other. It's my favorite days. These are my favorite moments that we call people into the spirit of baptism. And it's been cold and we don't have a building and so we haven't been able to baptize people yet. But I want to change that this week. And if you're ready to get baptized on your connection card, let us know. You say, I'm ready to get baptized, and we will make it happen. If we have to go to a YMCA and record the whole thing in an indoor pool, if we have to create a, a, a sauna room and fill up a tub and heat it up, we are going to get, we might show up and just use your bathtub. If we have to get this done, we're going to get this done. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, but you haven't yet been baptized, let's do it. 
Next Sunday, we're completing Matthew chapter 3. And in the end of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus himself gets baptized. He calls us to this incredible act that we as a church celebrate. Baptisms are our favorite moments at Branch Life Church. It marks the entering of me following one king to the moment where I'm following Jesus at king. Have you yet been baptized? This is what happened when John was preaching out in the wilderness. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan, first this area, then that area, then the whole place, were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the water in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. My dream for Branch Life Church is that first here in the Pottstown area, then the entire Philadelphia area, then the entire Northeast region, that people will come and they will get baptized. They will, they will mark themselves as followers of Jesus and we will confess our sins, not embarrassed by what we have done, but celebrating that someone what, what Jesus has done for us. We are ready to be all in in the kingdom of God and we want to build the kingdom of God. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And John the Baptist started this incredible message preparing the way for the Lord who has come so that you and I can repent so that we can be baptized and be a part of the kingdom of God. Now God knew that in our humanity, a one-time repentance, though that is good for salvation, is, is going to be needed to be repeated in our lives. I repeatedly sin. I repeatedly fail. And though I don't lose my salvation, I do lose my connection with God. And though I make mistakes as a believer and as a follower of God, God has simply said, listen, confess, repent, and repeat. And baptism is a mark of our change of kingship, while confession or communion is a reconnection to our king. And so God has instituted for us a second sacrament, or a second practice, the practice of communion. And as often as we do this as a church, we are remembering that our sins have been paid for, that Jesus' blood was spilt and his body was broken for us, and we remember his death on the cross. We remember his sacrifice that once and for all solved the problem of sin and death, where he has become the king of our lives. And though we try to take back our, our crown, our rule, we try to reign in our lives again, we continually need to be involved in this practice of confession and repentance. It's something that we need to repeat. And so we come to the communion table. And in these moments, in the quietness before God, he asks us to confess our sins, to do a little bit of self-examination. God, what sin have I participated in? What am I hiding? What am I, what, am, what am I choosing that is far from you, that is off the mark? And God, I name that sin and I confess that sin and I ask you to help me to turn from that sin, to never repeat it, to never have it happen again. And God says, when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. These moments, after you have celebrated communion, are the moments where you will be closest to God. You'll be in right standing with God. You'll be in perfect communion with God. And so during these 36 days of prayer, we're highlighting communion as a church. And today is one of those days where we are marking communion together. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song and uh, give you some communion instructions and participate in some music. 
And so if you're watching this virtually, we want to invite you to go grab the elements. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you've confessed Jesus, I want to encourage you to participate in communion with us. And if you have become a follower of Jesus, but you have not yet been baptized, I want to caution you. One of the warnings that we're given in Scripture is not to take communion lightly. And if we have done something or have not done something that God asks us to do, that means we're harboring disobedience in our hearts. And we're told not to participate in communion until we resolve that. And so don't knowingly participate in sin and take communion. But if you're ready to say, God, I confess it all, I lay it on the table, I'm ready to pursue baptism, I'm ready to, to, to repent from that sin, God, I want to participate in this communion in remembrance of your brokenness for me. Well, we want to invite you to this time in these next couple of moments. Today we talked about the importance of confess, repent, and repeat from Matthew chapter 3. Before you go today, will you respond? Will you fill out this connection card? And on that card, you can ask a question. You can give us a, you can give us a prayer request or some feedback or just let us know that you worshiped with us today. We would love to hear from you before uh, you go on with the rest of your day today. Let's pray together and then we will mark our uh, communion time together. God, Heavenly Father, I know that I often fall short, that I often take back control, that I often try to rule my own life. And God, help me to be regular at the practice of confessing and repentance. I thank you for the salvation that you gave me when I first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for this, the spirit of baptism that washed over me when I chose to follow in those steps. And God, I'm thankful that we can practice over and over again in this time of communion where we can participate in your kingdom even now that's at hand as we look forward to the full completion of your kingdom to come. Help us as followers of Jesus to live our lives for you, to follow you, and to hand our crowns to you. God, we thank you for, for being the king of our lives. So I pray, God, that these moments that follow, that we would examine ourselves. God, that we would, we would uh, remember uh, your death on the cross for us, and we would anticipate your return. Thank you, God, for these words in Matthew chapter 3. In your precious name we pray. Amen.